Hey gang, this is Thomas E.J. Before we begin this episode, Derek and I wanted to talk about Gene Colan. Gene was a truly unique artist with a style patterned after old-style black-and-white cinematography and impressionistic anatomy. He was responsible for a defining look of Daredevil and Iron Man. Sadly, Gene is very ill and is having trouble paying for his medication. If you'd like to help, you can purchase some of his original art on eBay at the Gene Colan Art Store. That's all one word, Gene Colan Art. We wish Gene the best for recovery and dedicate this show to him. Now let's get on with the program. Come inside. Ignore the strange stickiness of the carpet beneath your feet. Find the right seat, the one without the missing arm and the exposed springs. Pull the candy bar out of your inside coat pocket. Look at the color swirls the canned music plays. Wait for the lights to go down. Listen for the telltale clacking and film being pulled through the gate. Relax. Watch. Because we all feel better, better in the dark. And we're back once again. Well, I thought, wait, wait, I didn't like the way we did it. Let's just remake this, okay? What? You mean we gotta remake the introduction all yeah, over again? Yeah, we gotta again. remake the introduction. I'm not, well, what, I'm not happy with it, man. I'm just not you're happy. You're not happy with how we did the introduction, no, so we have happy. to remake it. We gotta it. remake it. We gotta remake how many it. times are we gonna use the word remake? <laughs> Until we make our point, I guess. Yes, of course. Because that's what this episode is about. We spent so much time here at Better in the Dark complaining about remakes that didn't need to be made that we decided to devote this episode, the one you're listening to right now, to remakes that Derek and I would love to see. Exactly. These are movies that... And there may absolutely be nothing wrong with these movies, but we just think it's time for them to have a nice new coat of paint. Right. Take them out, sand them off, mm-hmm. maybe give them a fresh look and expose them to a whole new audience. part of the problem with the remakes that come out these days is they're of movies that either have been remade a couple of dozen times before, like in the case of Invasion, or in the case of something like The Hitcher, didn't need to be remade in the first place. Oh, I just saw Invasion, new one. The new with one with uh, Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. That movie made absolutely no sense at all. Terrible. Sad, really. Horrible. So we're going to take care of this, and we're going to recommend to Hollywood, so this is going out to you, you left coast liberal bastard, you. Six movies. That was Tom DJ who said that, not Derek Ferguson. Okay, okay. <laughs> what we're going to do in this episode, we're going to talk about, as usual, in our usual format. What we like to refer to as the potpourri format, where we each choose three. Yeah, Thomas choosing three, and I took three, right. and we're going to talk about movies that we think should be remade. I guess we could go right into it. I mean, here we are in the new year, ready, new, late of stuff. And if we haven't said it before, Happy New New Year year to all of our listeners. We hope everybody got the presents they wanted. I know I got my James Bond 007 collection, finally. More about that later on. (laughs) So who wants to start? Since you're the senior partner, I'm going to let you go first. I'm not a senior partner. We're equal partners, man. You know that. Ah, come on. So I guess we're going to start in this. You go first. Go ahead. Maybe. Because you got visual aids. I've just got notes. Tom's got the actual DVDs with him. This may be, to date, the oldest set of films that we have talked about. My first candidate for remaking is the collective series known as the Road Series. Bob Hope and, and Bing Crosby. Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, and more often than not, Dorothy Lamour. They did a whole slew of these films from the, about the 1940s, about wartime, up until about 1963, I think. Three. They did six of them, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. 
So they did six of them in the, over the course of 20 years. The road to Bali, the road to Hong Kong, Kong the road to Singapore, Singapore, the road to... Morocco. Morocco, which is my favorite. Okay, the road We're to Rio. We're on the road to Morocco. Right. I own the road to Singapore, the road to Bali, and the road to Rio. I have, and the final one was road to Utopia. I have the road to Morocco. I had right. that on DVD. One of the things I've said about these when I first started picking these up on eBay was that they don't make me laugh so much, but... Damn it, they make me smile throughout. And they make me feel good watching them. What happens in these movies is that Bing Crosby and Bob Hope, they play con men They're basically the character. same characters, even though they're different names. What they're playing is Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. Right. And they get involved in these improbable adventures where they go on these roads oh, to various exotic locales. Bing Crosby gets to sing a couple of songs. Right. Bob, Bob Hope gets to sing a couple of songs. Bob Hope does his comedy routine. Right. And Dorothy L'Amour is, is the cheesecake. And the thing that's kind of cool is that you have Bing Crosby is the common, basically the Abbott part, and Bob Hope is playing Costello. Although, I find it interesting that they seem to switch every film, they alternate to who gets the girl in the end. In most of those movies, they're competing for right. the girl, who is Dorothy L'Amour. And competing one of the things them. I loved about the road movies is, as they get older, more of them get made, they get more and more surreal. Until the point where we get to Road to Valley, which is one of the last ones. They're breaking the fourth wall, they're making television jokes, and they're just doing all sorts of strange and bizarre things in terms of entertainment. Well, the last one, The Road to Hong Kong, which is made in the 60s, it's a full-out spy spoof. Which is something that Bob Hope was familiar with from the My Favorite Blank series. But this is going into Casino Royale territory. That was the last one that they made. Matter of fact, Joan Collins. Mm-hmm. This was one of the first movies that she made. She took over the Dorothy L'Amour role. And they're just like totally wonderful non-sequiturs throughout this film. Like in The Road to Rio, where the whole third act, you, we keep cutting back to this cavalry riding along to go and rescue Bing and Bob. Turns out they never get there. And they, never get, and and they pull and up and at the end of the film. At the end of the movie, the guy turns <laughs> around and goes, Well, I guess we weren't needed. But it was really exciting, he wasn't said, it? He said, but this was exciting. <laughs> but, yeah, but they did that all the time. Because at the end of the road to Morocco, they're on a ship. And the ship blows up. They're on a raft. Bob Hope is emoting. Big Cross says, well, what are you doing? He said, New York is right there. <laughs> and Bob Hope says, yeah, but I was trying for Academy Award. Right. Now, why do I think these things need to be remade? I think that this is a perfect vehicle for somebody like, we mentioned them before in our Christmas Action episode, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. I could see Will Smith in the Bing Crosby role and Martin Lawrence in the Bob Hope role. You wouldn't have to do a lot of updating. No. no. And you would have plenty of room for Martin Lawrence to be goofy. And Will Smith could sing a couple of happy, peppy rap numbers. They even did it on Family Guy. Yeah. They do these rap things. Everybody loves road movies. I love road movies. I love movies where you take a couple of characters... You gotta get from one place to another. I love smoking in the band. Right. I love stuff like that. And I agree with you 100%. This would be a perfect vehicle for Martin Lawrence and Will Smith or any other two actors. That right. You if you had the right chemistry between the two actors. And I think that even though the Bad Boy series was dreadful... I do think they've got that chemistry. You went to these road movies, not just for the comedy, but for the exotic locales, just like the eye candy. It would be easy to put something like this together. And if you right put now. somebody like Beyonce with them, or like every other movie they did, put a different flavor of the month. Yeah, if you did that, if you had the road to whatever, right. 
you had a good screenwriter, Will Smith, Martin Lawrence, would be gold. Magic, it'd be right there. You would do it, and I agree with you 100%. You don't get no argument for right. me on that score. You want to go for me? Okay. Let's go to Now, you. my choice is the 1975 movie Doc Savage. A lot of people mistakenly think that it was directed by George Powell. It was produced by him. Right. And it was directed by Michael Anderson. George Powell, by this time, even though we know him from classics like The Time Machine, When Worlds Collide. By 1975, he's an old guy. Yeah. He really wasn't able to fight with Was the this his last film? or This was his last movie. Unfortunately, Ron Ely played Doc. Mm-hmm. We had notable actors. Paul Gleason, our friend from Die Hard. Yes. Remember? He was in the, the police East. chief. Yeah, he played Major Thomas J. Longton Robert. William Lucking played Colonel John Ray Renwick. Mm-hmm. Now, Doc Savage, for anybody that knows me, knows I'm a big pulp fan. Doc Savage is my favorite character. He inspired Superman, Batman. Matter of fact, Superman stole the Fortress of Solitude from him. He's a guy, a big bronze guy, six feet tall, was raised by scientists to become the ultimate archenemy of evil. And with his five assistants, who were all experts in their field. And his sister, don't forget the sister. His cousin. Cousin, sorry. His cousin. Patricia Savage. Patricia Savage, who ran her own beauty salon. <laughs> he went around the world righting right. wrongs, fighting evil. He was the epitome, let me put it this way, without Doc Savage, we wouldn't have a lot of the superheroes right. that we have today. However, the movie he made was very disappointing. It was sad, it was tired. It was very campy. Actually. It was only made six years after the 1960s Batman, Batman movie, right. craze. That was the only way I think filmmakers thought they could do a superhero character like that do it in a camping mm-hmm. style. And also, period pieces weren't very big back then. Not like it is now. I think like now, we've had stuff like The Mummy, right? Indiana Jones, and Shadow, which I'll get to later on. Mm-hmm. So people are more appreciative of period pieces now than they were back then. If you made a Doc Savage movie now, people say, okay, well, that's pretty cool. Right. But back then, people said, well, the only way you can do it is a campy way. I don't know who you would get to do Doc now. Fifteen years ago, Rucker Howard would have been perfect. Yeah. You and I have talked about that. Rucker Howard would have made a perfect Doc Savage. Mm-hmm. Remember what they were talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger? I don't think that would have worked. No, it wouldn't have. Rucker Howard, back during his Blade Runner days. Right. He would have been perfect. Now, as for some other casting choices, Earl McRoach, who did Buckaroo Banzai right. as a writer-director. Mm-hmm. Because that's what that's he what did. That's what Buckaroo Banzai was, basically. Buckaroo Banzai was Doc Savage, mm-hmm. so he could do it. Michael Chiklis, Monk. Mm-hmm. Pierce Brosnan is Ham. Guy Pierce, Johnny, the archaeologist. Ron Perlman, Rennie. <laughs> of course. These guys that Well, you know, this is probably, of our list, this is probably one that's closest to coming to fruition. Because who just bought Street and Smith? Who? Sam Raimi. Exactly, yeah, because Sam Raimi wants, wants to, do, to do all these movies. He wants to do all these pop characters. Back when, in 1975, when George Powell did Doc Savage, I am not going to knock George Powell, because I love him. If for no other reason than he made The Time Machine which is probably one of the most faithful adaptations from a novel to the movie ever made. This was near the end of his career, and he probably wasn't able to fight the studio like he wanted to. Doc Savage really should have been made the way it should have been. 
but back then, period pieces weren't too hot. You know, especially now that we've got the virtual studio technology. Well, this was it. We've had Sky Captain. Right. We've had The Mummy. People like period stuff. Now, here's yeah. my question. Would you do a slightly modified adaptation of a Lester Dent novel? Or would you do something original? No, I'd do The Man of Bronx, the original Lester Dent novel. Well, my first thought is that, okay, if somebody decided they were going to do Doc Savage, they would probably want to bring one of my favorite characters from this series in right away, which is Mikhail jo- Sunlight. John Sunlight. Why do I keep thinking Mikhail? Okay, John Sunlight, John, yes. John Sunlight is... The guy who got away. John Sunlight is the only Doc Savage enemy to appear in two novels. He appeared in Devil Genghis. No, but I would do The Man of Bronze because okay. that's the first one. Doc Savage is such an iconic character, and a lot of people do not know why he's such an iconic character. I can give you two words to make him an iconic James Bama. Yeah. You say Doc Savage, you say, well... Who's that? Really, a lot of people don't. Right. Outside of people like me and you, or comic book fans, mm-hmm. or Pulp Fiction fans. My wife didn't know Patricia. She said, well, well, they've been re-releasing the Doc Savage novels as like flip books, and you can get them at Barnes & Nobles now if you want. If you want to know the best example of Pulp Fiction, get the Doc Savage novels by Kenneth Robeson. Actually, they were written by a man named Lester Dent. Dent. Our admiration of Lester Dent is so great that there are certain things that we have keyed in to his name. Lester Dent actually has inspired me so much. You know I've written novels about a character, Dylan, an adventurer named Dylan, that I freely admit was inspired by Lester Dent. He's a remarkable writer. Matter of fact, Clive Cussler, also who has written Dirt Pit novels, he has said, that was his direct inspiration. Right. And you figured Doc Savage gave birth in different minds to The Challenges of the Unknown, The Fantastic Four. He is my favorite character, and if I were going to do a movie, remake a movie, mm-hmm. give me $20 million. If I couldn't do it right, I would find somebody to do right. it right. So now I'm going to pass it now, back to you, Tom. This go next ahead. one is one that we had to go to the infamous coin toss. Decide yeah. who gets to talk about <laughs> Occasionally, Tom and I... We both want to do a certain film when we do yeah. a potpourri episode. We back, back and forth, folks. You don't even know. So the way we resolve it is I take a quarter out of my pants, we call it, we flip a coin. And actually, this is almost show you how much I love this guy. We'll do this over the phone, <laughs> and he's in his house, and, I'm yeah. out, and I trust him that <laughs> yeah, it's going to turn the right way. So I got the right to talk about this, which is, of course... <laughs> One of the major rivals of James Bond, probably the greatest of the rivals of James Bond, who of course we'll be covering later on this year. The best rival, in my opinion. The man, Mr. Derek Flint. In the Flint movies, there were two of them. In Like Flint and Our, a, man, our, our man, man Flint. Our Man Flint was the first one. It was one. the first one, and this is the sequel, In Like Flint. This is the one where the women take over the world. Yes. Operation Smooch. It's got... One of the best scenes in this mm-hmm. one. Folks, if you get this movie, you should get this movie if for no other reason. Flint confronts the women, and it's a conspiracy of women that right. want to take over the world. And they sit there, and part of their plan is they've hired an actor, and they've done through plastic surgery, played by Andrew Duggan, right. to play the part of the president. Mm-hmm. And Flint is sitting there, and he said, wait a minute. You got an actor to, play to be right. the president of the United States? It's a great moment. Trust me. You have to see it. So Derek Flint, and this is also the movie that Michael Myers is very, very, very clear about, inspired him to do Austin Powers. Derek Flint is a true renaissance man. 
to me, he bridges the gap between you had Doc Savage in mm-hmm. the 1930s and 40s, and then you had Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah, so Derek Flint fits right, right in there. that gap. He lives on his own, always with beautiful women. Even though he's a free operative, he will consent to occasionally take on jobs for a spy organization known as ZOWIE. Zonal Organization for World and International Espionage. That's why he's a man. <laughs> it just occurred to me. That is that is led by Lee J. Cobb, Cobb, who he used to work for. Lee J. Cobb has this, he's always like very exact, but it's like, Flint is the best man for the job, no matter what. So he always ends up going to beg him to come and help us out, please. Because one of the best things I like about this movie, mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't get it, about Hudson Hawk. Right. If you ever watch Hudson Hawk, the same tone they have for the presidential phone is the one that they have in the Flint Right. Movies. And so it's also the, the tone that is used in Austin Powers whenever Basil right. Exposition needs to contact Austin because Powers. Because the president calls up Lee J. Cobb and says, right. get Flint. <laughs> right. Even though he doesn't want to use him. There's a lot of weird little touches. Like in the first one, in Our Man Flint, it's about a plan by these scientists to take over the world using a weather satellite. The scientists are called Schwartz and Chang. What they don't tell you is that Schwartz is the Chinese one, and Chang is the Jewish one. Wu, sorry, okay. Wu, yeah. That's Wu, right. Schwartz. Wu is the Jewish guy. Yes. And Schwartz is the, the Asian, Asian yeah. guy. They never make a big deal out of yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's just there. It's just a weird little factoid. Yeah, because you think, well, Schwartz is this guy. No, Schwartz is the Asian guy. Now, you and I both think that this is ripe for remaking. Oh, absolutely. However, I think that you and I disagree about the manner in which it should be remade. I've looked at this in the, recently, and I thought it would be a good vehicle for someone like Wesley Snipes. Because I think Wesley Snipes got that kind of crazy, sexy cool that James Coburn has. Oh, I think he would do it, too. I think that also that uh, George Clooney, right. I look at him, and I see James Coburn. I also see what you're talking about with Wesley Snipes. However, Wesley Snipes, considering his recent right. tax he set foot in it, America right yeah, now. Yeah, it's hardly likely he's going to be making a movie yeah. anytime soon. So although he's making one in Africa, supposedly called Gallows Walker. Gee, I wonder what that's supposed to be a ripoff of. As a matter of fact, Wesley Snipes probably would go on a list of, we talk about guys who went Yeah. Into, this is a guy that went from an A-list action mm-hmm. star to direct video. Kind of like Charles yeah. Bronson went as well. Yeah. And when Charles Bronson was on top of the world, right there with Clint Eastwood back in the 60s, and then all of a sudden he's... Wesley went from being an A-list action star to direct video kind of quick. We should probably put him in the, the box with the other cat people we've been putting for this massive series we want to start doing called The Downward Road. Yeah. And me, I love Wesley. Yeah. Me and you talking about Blade 2. That's one of the But best I think we both that. are in agreement that whoever took on the role of Derek Flint would have to have just an inherent coolness. Yeah. Because that's one of the things that really carries this character is that James Coburn, who at that time was probably one of the coolest men on the planet, he carries this film in many ways because there are times when it does get kind of silly and it does kind of bog down. But he keeps it together by just sheer force of charisma. Mm-hmm. And we would need an actor with that level of charisma. James Coburn, nobody could top it. James Coburn got his cool license in the Magnificent right. Seven mm-hmm. when he shot the guy off the top yeah. of the mountain. And the guy, oh man, he's the best <laughs> shot I ever saw. And James Coburn said, that was the worst. I was aiming for the horse. James Coburn got his cool license right there. Mm-hmm. And he only enhanced it in the Flint movies. And in a bunch of other movies he did. Very, very cool act. There would be nobody else like James Coburn. And I should also mention for this particular movie that I brought in today, In Like Flint, for those of you who were fans of the Batman TV show in the 60s, 
This shows you Yvonne Craig, Batgirl, in yeah. almost nothing. Yeah, Yvonne Craig. She plays a ballerina in the film, and she's not wearing much of anything. Yvonne Craig, I had such a crush on I loved Yvonne Craig. If I could have been her boyfriend, I'd have slit your throat. Oh, and I we'll love you. Yeah, I know. I, know I love you too. I'll slit your throat. Okay. That's my second choice. So now we're going back to me. Yes, we are. For my next choice of my movie that I would remake if I had a chance, I'd remake Conan, the 1982 with Arnold Schwarzenegger. If, if you do not give me this, then to hell with you. Okay, me and you talked about right. this on the phone, as we do a lot of times, right. folks, before we do these shows. I've got nothing against the it's Orange Wars. It's a decent film. That it's first a film. good movie, even today. Probably and one of the better things John Badham has ever done. It was smart for Arnold Schwarzenegger because it was a role didn't take a lot of dialogue. And even if it did, it he didn't have to rationalize his thick accent. That's the thing. It takes place in prehistoric times. Right. It actually makes more sense for him to have that kind of accent mm-hmm. than it does in modern times. Then we got the great form of Sandal Bergman. Solid story. There's nothing wrong with it. However, great villain in James Earl Jones' Tulsa Doom. Turns into a giant honking big snake. However... It could be remade today, especially with, and I'm sorry, I know you people right. who love Lord of the Rings. I'm not a Lord of the Rings fan. I'm a Robert E. Howard fan. Mm-hmm. I want to see the same type of money spent on Lord of the Rings spent on right. Robert E. Howard in a Conan movie. I think the time is right for Conan to be Can remade. think of some of the, the stories that they could mine for Red Nail. Tower of the Elephant. The Frost Giant's Daughter. Oh, Robert E. Howard practically gave them a panorama mm, right. of stuff that they could do. I keep hearing every couple of months they're trying to revive interest again in the idea of Dwayne Johnson taking the role. What I heard one time, there was a project attached to Arnold Schwarzenegger called King Conan, Crown right. of Iron, that he was going to play Conan as an old guy, mm-hmm. and that The Dwayne Rock Johnson. was going to play his son, mm-hmm. called Khan. At the end of the movie, he was going to die, and that Wayne Johnson was going to take over the, the franchise, and he was going to be Conan. I have no idea what happened to that. I've also heard rumors about a guy that I've cursed a couple of times on this podcast, Paul Levesque, wanting desperately to be Conan. What I do know that has happened that I've just found out recently, that there is an animated version of, of Red, Red Nails. Nails. Yeah. And you would know about it too if you were part of the Better in the Dark mailing list. That's how I found out about it, by you good people letting me know about it. Apparently, I didn't know anything of about it, but I want to see a live-action version of Conan. Right. Treat it with the same respect and with the Lord but of the Rings. Yeah, I know you people out there, you Lord of the Rings fan. Frodo, I, Frodo. I couldn't take the, oh, poor Mr. Frodo. Yeah, I got it already. Poor Pour my Frodo. ears. Get on with the movie. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> and I have them. I can take yeah. them. I've got them all on videotape. I watch them, and more than often than not, I will fast-forward through right. a lot of that shit. Please. So who would you cast as Conan? I can't think of anybody right now except The Rock. Might you know, the only it. thing, getting off the subject just for 10 seconds, folks, yeah. the only thing I would rather see him play Conan is a sequel to The Rundown. Right, no yeah, no question about that. Only yeah, that's the serious. only thing. If he said he was going to do a sequel to scrap Conan, scrap Conan, that. scrap Shazam, get that thing going. Yeah, otherwise, then 
he's the only guy I could see playing Conan. Because it was an addition, practically, when he did the Scorpion King. Right. Well, they're doing a direct-to-video sequel to the Scorpion King. I forget who's taking over for The Rock. I can't think of anybody with that build say that I wouldn't object to. Paul Levesque wants to do it, and I'm like, no. Sort of Scorpion King movie, which mm. you did the prequel that they did. If you change a couple... It was a Conan movie, really. It, you just had to change a couple of names of it. That's what I want to see. I want to see a new Conan movie. And I want to see it with all of this stuff that they I want to see some monsters. For the Lord of the Rings movie, I want to see for Okay, Conan. I understand that the first Conan had a giant honking snake. I want to see some of the Howard, Robert E. Howard monsters. I want to see Robert E. Howard on the screen. I guess it's my turn. It's back my to you, last my choice is a perennial classic. And I don't want to hear anybody emailing me after this episode airs talking about... Well, they did a remake of this. It was on television, and ABC did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it stunk on ice. Even though it had Gabriel Union. Your girl. It would have been more interesting if they had Gabriel Union playing Kolchak. We're talking, of course, about the 1972 television movie, Kolchak, The Night Stalker. With Darren McGavin. the time. The real Kolchak. Until Roots in 1976... The Night Stalker was the highest rating television show yep. in the history of television. This little cruddy vampire movie set in Las Vegas was you know, watched by more people than any other show in the world until Roots came along. I know a lot of y'all guys that listen to this, y'all are young guys and you may have been brought up in the last 10 years. And you don't understand what this means to us. When we were growing up, this shit... And the Karen Black movie. Yes, Trilogy of Terror, which supposedly this one is being remade. The scary shit that was on TV at mm-hmm. the time. The original Night Stalker movie. And Although yeah. I think I prefer the sequel, The Night Strangler. I think The Night Strangler is a little bit scarier. Well, Tom, take okay. it away. The Night Stalker is the story of Down on His Luck reporter, played by Darren McGavin, Carl Kolchak, who is investigating a series of murders of dancers and strippers in Las Vegas, and discovers... That there's an actual honest-to-God vampire out there abducting these women and draining them of blood. It's a very simple story. Very quick. What happens, of course, is he tries to convince the Las Vegas police detective, mm. played by Chet Atkins, tries to convince the mayor, tries to convince all these other people. They eventually do believe him, but then run him out of town on a rail when they resolve the problem. As we mentioned, this was not meant to be a big th- deal, but it was the highest-rated TV movie in the history of television. Of course, a year later, we saw Kolchak again in The Night Strangler, which I think is the better of the two scripts, which showed a down-on-his-luck, out-of-work Kolchak, his boss, Simon Oakland, played played Vincenzo, takes pity on him and gives him a job at this new place that he's working at in Seattle. And they make a great deal of atmosphere with Seattle's Pioneer Square, which is their old town, mm. where Seattle used to be in before the great Seattle fire. Mm. It turns out there are these murders that are taking place, women being strangled, a puncture mark in the back of their neck, and rotted flesh left on their corpses. This, he does his usual thing, gets involved with a dancer played by Joanne Flug, and uncovers that this is this alchemist who's been living in the ruins of the old Seattle mm-hmm. for decades and has to come out every 30 years to kill seven women and take their pineal fluid. These are just incredibly creepy, incredibly fun movies. They got a little bit silly when it became a series a year or so later. It became Kolchak the Night Stalker. Darren McEvan carried a lot of that show on his back. 
It's been dying for a remake for a long, 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 long time. I will even show Night Stalker mm-hmm. to my nieces and nephews. Like they say, oh yeah, well that old stuff is corny. But you know what? Take them into a room, turn mm-hmm. on all the lights, just put it in, and just put the TV on, and just sit with no distraction. Right. You'll see a jump. Oh, yeah. Because these movies are effective. And Part they, of what makes the Night Stalker and the Night Strangler work so well is... The structure that Dan Curtis, who directed these films, who knew created. how to direct a horror movie, yeah. Dark he did, Shadows, he did Dark Shadows. Yeah, this is a guy who knows how to make you jump when he wants you to jump. And it's done in a almost cinema verite style, with Darren McGavin providing narration through mm-hmm. a tape recorder he always carries with him, mm-hmm. and it's done in a very bare bones style. Not a lot of flash, and you almost believe that it's a documentary. Which is what I think is a lot of strength toward the original Night Stalker and Night Strangler movie. To this day, these were the movies that influenced Chris Carter to do The X-Files. In fact, he wanted, at one point, when he finally got Darren McGavin to agree to guest star, he wanted him to guest star Has Kolchak. Universal did not want to give him the rights, so he ended up creating a new character. Which kind of stunk. Now, the thing is, of course, is they're going to have to find the right actor. I, I would think Gary Oldman is a good choice to play Kolchak. Yeah. I think he'd be a good choice. I think Johnny Depp would be a good choice, but he'd have to wait a couple of years. You really need somebody who's in, it, at the very least, his 50s to do this part, to have the proper sense of world weariness. And you know, one thing I like about Kolchak is that we never really, and I know we got this thing about, that people want to know about the origin of a character. We never knew much He's about Kolchak. You got the front. This was his life. That was the whole thing. Was his life? And that was another reason why Frank Spotnitz's remake of the series failed so badly. In that we had this whole fakakta backstory about his wife being taken away by Wolfmen. We don't want to hear that. We don't need to know that. We know he's cold chat. He's a reporter. He occasionally runs across supernatural stuff. You know what else was matter? You had these other people that he dragged around with him. him. Believed him, yeah. That was, the, that was the whole thing about Kolchak in nobody the Nobody believed yeah. him. In the original, he was one man who had greatest secrets of the universe. And he couldn't trust anybody with him. And them. nobody believed him. Remember they had one scene, there was a scene where he found a vampire. There was a cross on top oh of a hill and they came up there. At the end of the episode, it took ten minutes to cross. He said, well, they let me go because eventually they had to do it because there was nothing else they could do because... The evidence was right. there, and they didn't want to release the I mean, evidence. there's that iconic scene with McGavin dictating to Chet Atkins, who is the first in a long line of police detectives and police chiefs who he bedeviled. Here is what you have to do. One, each police officer will be issued several stakes, mm-hmm. and they're looking at him like, what the fuck are you talking about, you crazy? And that was the thing about Kolchak. He was the only one that knew this was going on. When they found the evidence... They suppressed it, right. and he knew it. He said, Kolchak, just get That's out of the town. Right. Yeah. They have the great they seat. drive him out of town. They have the great seat with him and Tony Vincenzo right. actually leaving town. The great thing about the, the end of the first one is, first they drive his girlfriend out of town. Yeah. And he's like, well, where's my, I get my girlfriend? Says, no, you go, you go now. Yeah, you go now. You leave. You, you leave. You leave. Don't come back. It's a great character. It's a great premise. They need I to find mean. the right actor, and they need to find the right director. When they did the thing with Gabriel you and you know I love Gabriel yes. you It wasn't a Kolchak show. It was a Superman show, because you had Kolchak as Superman, Gabriel Union as Lois Lane, and the reporter, the little Weasley reporter guy, has Jimmy Olsen. You know what would even be better? If they had made Gabriel Union Kolchak. Right. They had a nice old. The new series, it was 
X-Files light. Well, you had most of the people that was doing right. well, it. Right. Well, it was Frank Spotson. Yeah. That's what he tried to turn it into. It lasted, what, eight episodes? Yeah, in fact, it ended on a cliffhanger. They didn't air the remaining episodes, although you can get them on the DVD set. Gabriel Union went right out three months later. She had a movie covered out. Right. I'm glad. Your last glad choice. To me, okay, my last choice. My last choice is The Shadow. Ah. From 1994, directed by our old friend, Russell McKay, who directed Highlander Lander. and Razorback. And most recently, Resident Evil 3, Total Extinction. Now, this is a movie with considerable pedigree because we got Alec Baldwin playing with Mark mm-hmm. Ranson the Shadow. Penelope Ann Miller has uh, John Lone, Chiwon Khan, mm-hmm. the bad guy, Penelope Ann Miller, Margot Lane, Sir Ian McKellen, right. Tim Curry, James Hong. And Peter Boyle. All right. And we had a kick-ass theme song by Taylor Day. Why did this movie bomb? Well, you tell me why it bombed, Tom. You well, one. And I'm going to tell you why. It couldn't it decide whether it wanted to be a period piece or a tongue-in-cheek camp fest. Every time you would get these moments where it seemed to be true to the source material, you would have these stupid scenes like Alec Baldwin and John Lowe circling each other, comparing tailors. The shadow came right on that cusp when period pieces were out of vogue mm. and when they became right. Because now we got, okay, The Mummy mm. and Indiana Jones. Right. That's when period pieces became in fashion. I think the shadow fell right on that right. edge. I think it didn't satisfy fans of the classic the shadow. It wanted is, to have its cake and eat it too. Because, which is, you know, they had the shadow where he clouded men's mm-hmm. minds. Which you don't need in a movie. Right. You need a visual shadow. But you didn't need that one because you had such a terrific visual. Mm-hmm. They took the Michael Kaluta. Also, I gotta were, say, I know you probably believed that he was better than I did, but I thought that the makeup they devised for Alec Baldwin to play the shadow was pretty poor. It was very obviously makeup. My choice would have been, and we've talked about this, would have been Jeff Goldblum. Well, he would have been perfect for it. Yeah. God knows what he was doing at that time. Mm-hmm. I think that Alec Baldwin was acceptable. Sticking pins in a Rennie Harlan doll, maybe? No. I think that he was acceptable. Okay. Lamar, you know, Lamont Crest. I liked the movie. I didn't like the direction that they took mm-hmm. with it. I liked the cast that they had. I didn't like the way they took it. I liked the thing with Shewan Khan. Had these winter powers, he could make the whole skyscraper. Right. I like the whole opening thing where they had where... Uh, On the bridge? No. Or the one where he where they're back in Tibet, where we're seeing him... He was a bloodthirsty warlord. He transmogrified, and he was rehabilitated, and then he right. became the shadow. I like that, too. I like the fact that Alec Baldwin looked like he really was having a good time playing this character. Mm-hmm. If you look at Alex Baldwin's form. He looks like he's having fun playing the yeah. shadow. To me, he looks like Lamar Cranston as much as... But he wasn't the shadow. I'll give you Lamar Cranston, but he wasn't the shadow for me. A lot of people will say the same thing about you know, Batman. They say, okay, well, uh, Michael Keaton was Bruce Wayne, but he wasn't Batman. I felt he was good as both. I think he I, was both. Yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah, I feel that Alec Baldwin was good as both. Jeff Goldblum, would he have been a better choice? Yes. Jeff Goldblum already got the hawk nose. And right. he got the height. And the eyes. And the eyes, eyes. yeah. Because that's what you need for the shadow. However, I feel it got the period piece right. I didn't like a lot of what happened after they got back to New York. Right. I felt the story was too confused and confused. 
with Ian McKellen. He had this invention. You never even knew why he wanted, and then it got forgotten, and then she won con was why was he making a skyscraper invisible much as i say i like it right why would you want to make a skyscraper invisible i just think it was too jokey for its own good i liked uh shadow secret sanctum i love that with the tube and the pneumatic tube all that other stuff why is he doing this and what is going on and doing this and by the time we got to the final scene I like the final scene where he gets in the cab and the guy's picking her up, which to me echoed Batman. But said, "Well, you know, well, how is he going to know? You know, and so, oh well, he knows." I kind of like that. I like Alec Baldwin. I like Penelope Ann Miller. Although I hated that they gave her psychic powers. I hated, hated the telepathy yeah, angle. That. I hated that too. It's a lot of little pieces I like, but mm-hmm. none of it adds up to a whole that I can right. say it's a cohesive movie. As a writer myself, I said, damn, I could take this and I could really yeah. do something with this. I could really make this a shadow movie, which it really should have been. Remember the scene with had where he's on the bridge and he comes out of the right. And he takes a 45. I know you said that you didn't think that they needed Cloud Man Mind, but I thought that the visual representation they got for that, which is him kind of appearing and reappearing at random in the mist, really worked. I thought that was a good visual for that particular power. It was a movie that I watch it and I say, damn. And it really makes me mad when I I say, I know how I could make this better if I had the chance. It's a lot of good elements that really don't come together. That's a movie that I would remake if I could. Who would you get to direct? Who would you cast? Me. Okay. Me? I ain't gonna lie. You know what? I don't think I could do any worse. You know, I've been watching movies all of my life. And I really do think that I could probably direct you know, I couldn't direct it any worse. And I think you probably could direct the movie. Just from the fact you've seen enough movies. Right. And I think that anybody who really is a serious student of film, and I don't mean having to go into film school. I think if you've seen movies for 30 years, mm-hmm. in the way that maybe me and you have seen movies, we could direct a movie. Yeah. Maybe we couldn't direct an Academy Award movie, but we could direct one that people want well, to who, see. Well, who would be our shadow then? I think Jeff Goldblum. I think that Jeff Goldblum is still a young guy. He's okay. probably in his fifties. Yeah, early fifties at this yeah, point. I, Tom, let's face it. He's not going to do the stunts anymore. It's just like right. Indiana Jones. Harrison Ford is sixty-five years old, and he just finished Indiana Jones. You think he did those stunts? No, of course not. You could get Jeff Goldblum to do it. Mm-hmm. He could do Lamar Crass and stuff. We get a stunt man to do the rest. Right, of but would we have the Shi Wong Khan in this one, or would we do an adaptation, much like I've asked with the? Um, you'd have to go with Shi Wong Khan okay. because he's shadows Professor Moriarty. Mm-hmm. This one is actually might be a little bit closer than we think because this is part of the three. And you know yeah. something? Now period pieces are more in vogue right. now than they were back then. Period pieces really were, weren't in vogue, but now that we have CGI, right. it's easier to do. Well, you have all these films that they've attempted in the 80s and 90s, which were period pieces. In addition to these two, let's talk about The Rocketeer. Let's talk about The Phantom, which people just did not buy into back then. That Maybe they would if they did virtual lot. If I were in charge of the studios that own these, I'd reissue The Rocketeer and the Phantom. Oh, The Rocketeer is a terrific film. It is fantastic. The score, mm-hmm. is ter- the special effect, it's a beautiful, it's one of the best superhero movies ever made. You say, well, how about The Rocketeer? And they look at you and they say, huh? Bill Campbell has 
the Rocketeer himself. Jennifer Connelly as Betty. Timothy Dalton is the bad is guy. Is the bad guy. It's one of the best superhero movies ever made. And nobody... Does it, Disney ever released it on DVD? I don't know, but if they have, we need to get that. Because, folks, one of the things that me and Tom has been planning on... Well, we keep getting sidetracked. Is that we're going to do commentaries on movies. That's a movie there we, we need go. to do a commentary on. We should do The Phantom, too. One of these. I love The Phantom. The Phantom is one. And I would like to know, when everybody makes a joke about Billy Zane and his fat gut, where the hell did you find a fat gut on that Bill, body there? And also, Billy Zane... Worked his ass off right. so that he'd fit into the thing with no padding. Not that's bat- all Billy Zane. That's not a bat suit. That's him. Billy Zane, Christy Swanson, and of course... Oh, I love Christy Swanson. Treat William chewing up the scenery like nobody's I business. I love Christy I always wish that, and I know that Josh Wayne said himself, he wished they could have found a way to bring in Christy, Christy Swanson, Swanson as the original Buffy the Vampire mm-hmm. Slayer. Because I was one of the people that saw that in the movie I theater. I saw it in the theaters as well. I wasn't a Johnny Come Late. Right. I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer from her first incarnation. Mm-hmm. I remember when the posters first went up, the Buffy series, I'm like, they're doing a TV series on that film? The reason why I went to see the movie? Because of the title. I said, right. Buffy the Vampire Well, Slayer. it was that combined with, you remember the bus ads? Get staked. That it was just diff- typical generic pictures, but... All the various models they came up with was what drew me into the theaters. Got me curious enough to look at the first episode with my mom, and I remember the exact moment I became a fan of the TV series was when Giles did his big speech about rivers of blood and everything and just stopped and said, I'm sorry, that's awfully British, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) To sum up. Tom, you go ahead. Okay, my three choices for films that I would like to see remade are The Road Movies, originally essayed by Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. The Flint movies, starring James Coburn in their original incarnation, and The Night Stalker, starring Darren McGavin in its original incarnation. My three movies that I would like to see the remake is, first of all, Doc Savage. First, it was produced by George Powell in 1975. As a matter of fact, Arnold Schwarzenegger was attached to remake that at one time. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened to that. Second movie I would like to see remade is Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, the 1982 Conan. And my final movie I would like to see remade is The Shadow from 1994, directed by Russell McKay. It's an alright movie. Could be better. As is Conan is. Uh, unlike Doc Savage, who was told his Well, Conan goes so far as to say it's a great movie. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with Conan. I just think that... Well, like, you know what the thing is? is that we seem to forget, I think it's the sequel and the semi-sequel uh-huh. that followed Conan that kind of dimmed the lives of the original. Right. Conan the Destroyer, which was a PG-13 film, and Red Sonja, which was a total disaster. The original Conan yes. was actually a pretty sexy movie. Because they had the orgy seat, mm-hmm. remember? It was a very good movie. And I got a ton of them. Don Coscarelli, Phantasm. Right. I think they're right for you know the remake. Treatment. I think you and I talked about when we were playing this episode Howard the Duck. Especially now that the CGI, CGI technology has been perfected. So most of these are on DVD, so you can pick them up and see these originals. You should have no problem finding them. And if you have some suggestions for movies that you'd like to see remade... Tom is going to tell you right now... How you can tell us. How you can tell us. And I don't want to hear no freaking whining about that TV series from a couple of years back. (laughs) Don't start with me. Do not start with me. I'm sitting right next to him, so you better not start with him. If you want to send an email to us, you can do so at our Gmail, which is betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, 
thedark at gmail.com. You can also leave a comment on our website, which is betterinthedark.podomatic.com. And if you really want to go all in and join a community of people who love movies and love talking about movies, the possibilities of movies, you can always get with our Yahoo mailing group, which is at movies.yahoo.com backslash groups backslash better in the dark. That's it for another episode. Yep. You know, if we get enough suggestions, we might do an, a sequel to this episode. Uh, so or we might remake it. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to remake this this year or, or five year, years yeah, down the road? We'll add a, a woman into it. Just like they did in The Hitcher. No, you know what we'll do? We'll have your mother make it. And my mother. <laughs> we'll do the same episode. There we go. In any case, thank you again for listening to us. And I'm Derek First. And I'm Tom DJ. And no matter what you do, no matter where you go... Go see that remake. Good night. <laughs> um, I've never prayed you before. I have no time for it. No one... Not even you will remember if you were good men or bad. Why we fought or why we died. No. All that matters is the truth that against many. That was important. Thou Lord, please, you crumb. So grant me one request. Grant me revenge. And if you do not listen, then the hell with you. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Derek Reddick of Dread Media, Michael David Sims of Earth2.net, and the members of the Better in the Dark Yahoo group at movies.groups.yahoo.com backslash group backslash Better in the Dark. Better in the Dark is going to get around to crushing its enemies and hearing the lamentation of their women, but gosh darn it, those comic geek speak guys are just never home. Previous episodes for the show can be downloaded from betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that the weed of crime bears bitter fruit. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. It bears tiny berries that can be fermented into a nice rosé. Why do you fly? He's cornered. Married. He cried. So I cried for him. <laughs>